Hello and welcome to the Inert Word Podcast. Today I talk with Dave Jenkins. Jenkins received his Master of Arts in Religion and Master of Divinity from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. He is the Executive Director of Servants of Grace Ministries and the Executive Editor of Theology for Life magazine. He also serves as the host and producer of Equipping You in Grace podcast. He is the author of The Word Explored, The Problem of Biblical Illiteracy and What to Do About It, published by House to House in 2021, Contentment, The Journey of a Lifetime, published by Theology for Life in 2024, and the book we'll be talking about today, The Word Matters, Defending Biblical Authority Against the Spirit of the Age, published by G3 Press in 2022. He and his wife, Sarah, live in Southern Oregon. Some listeners might notice that this episode sounds familiar. That is because this is the same episode as the very first episode I released back in October. I am re-releasing it with a new introduction to give my guest a proper introduction. Now, on to the show. So, Dave, uh, thank you for joining me today, and thank you for being willing to be interviewed about your book, The Word Matters. Um, I found it to be such a, a interesting and uh, thoughtful and yet simple read um, for the average Christian. It's, it's really accessible. Um, so thank you for that, first of all. Um, yeah. And uh, first, I just want to ask you what prompted you to write this book and yeah. why, why, why now? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, this, this book actually started, I started writing this out of seminary in 2012 because I, have been studying uh, church history and, you know, biblical interpretation and the whole nine yards really since high school. And I just kept seeing um, again and again, friends go to Bible college or seminary and being even in ministry or just Christians in general. And they had a lot of questions and, and it, it's like, um, I think of it this way, a a surgeon um, say a child, you know, we wouldn't want this to happen, but they get poisoned, right? The surgeon is going to go in and they're going to take a scalpel and they're going to dig out the poison. Um, th- with When we talk about what we're going to talk about today, that's really what we're talking about is we have to go and deal with the poison that has um, seeped into the church um, through a multi-pronged attack. Mainly, mainly, we're. I know we're going to talk about gender and sexuality, but it's not even just gender and sexuality. It's 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 also ethics and uh, you know, other other more our uh, view of morals and uh, all these topics. And so, really, really, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the reader, like you said, you know, kind of by the hand and just say, here's what these words mean. You might not even know what they mean. Um, in fact, I'm gonna guess that you don't know what they mean and. That's okay, but here's what they mean. Here's why that matters. Here's what here's what Scripture says about those terms. Here's what the church history has taught. Here's what you know these other people out there are saying about the Bible. Just so that you're aware, because you probably aren't aware of what's actually uh, what's been said. You know, a lot of these discussions they happen um, in the ivory tower. So, like most of these subjects that you would. Uh, see in this book, the word matters. They're all very academic topics that you know you read a uh, thousand page books on. And so my book is, let's see, it's about a hundred and 
um, set 68 pages. I just looked. That's 168 pages, if you're wondering. I'm taking these huge, massive concepts that are like four and 500 page books uh, for some of these chapters, and I condense the the whole material into 168 pages. Uh, one of my friends says this is like taking a seminary course, you know, in very condensed fashion. Um, I think he's probably right. But the, the goal of the book is just to take readers again by the hand, help them understand how serious the issue of biblical authority is, how the Bible is under attack, so, so that you, um, the average Christian or even, you know, pastor or, you know, professional theologian can say, here's a trustworthy guide. Here's something for the average person in pew that they can really read and they can understand and then, you know, they can move, you know, on to, to studying these topics the great the great thing is is i i reference all of these things in in footnotes so you do not have to go to the end of the book and dig through the book to wonder you know where's that source where's that verse it's it's right there for you so that's great yeah and you mentioned um how you make things easier you take the cookies off from the top shelf and yeah. make it easier for someone to understand uh two of those words being inerrancy and infallibility so I, yeah. I wanted to ask, what are the main differences between the two words? Well, very simply, we can, and I'll and I'll say a little bit more than this, but very simply, inerrancy means without error, and infallibility means without the possibility of error. Now, a little bit more than that is to say that inerrancy refers to the quality of being without error, whether caused by ignorance or deceit. We know that God can't li cannot lie; it's impossible for Him to lie. And given that scripture is his word, scripture is without error. Now, the infallibility of scripture, it means that it's impossible for scripture to err. So to say that God is infallible is not only to say that he does not err, but that he cannot err. And so that means that, you know, God, since God is holy and he's perfect in all of his ways, as scripture tells us, you know, we, we can actually trust him as, as we see in Titus 1, 2, you know, God can't lie. Um, his his character he will always be he will always act consistently and coherently um, with his revealed character in the Bible. Now, interestingly, I know we both really appreciate the Chicago statement on inerrancy. It provides a really good definition of the relationship between inerrancy and infallibility. When it says this, Holy Scripture as the inspired Word of God, inspired meaning reliable, trustworthy. Um, just for you know. Those who may not know what that means, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the inspired word of God witnessing authoritatively to Jesus Christ may properly be called infallible and inerrant. These negative terms have a special value for uh, they explicitly safeguard crucial positive truths. Infallible signifies the quality of neither uh, misleading nor being misled and so safeguards in categorical terms the truth that Holy Scripture is a sure, safe, and reliable rule and guide in all matters. And similarly, inerrant signifies the quality of being free from all falsehood or mistake, and so safeguards the truth that Holy Scripture is entirely true and trustworthy in all of its assertions. We might say a little bit about why that really matters. I know that we're going to get to there, but you might wonder uh, just like why practically that, that matters, that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy and without the possibility of error. And, and one of the reasons that that really idea really matters is because you have people out there that I'm sure we've all heard of, right? They think, in fact, there was a study, I think it was Barna, 
um, recently reported that 24% of Christians, according to the latest worldview analysis, believe that scripture is totally trustworthy. So that really that really matters. Um, we're going to talk about the state of the Bible and the church later, but this just put that in your like in the back of your head there that stat, and we'll get to some more in a little bit. But the question, the reason that I think a lot of people, you know, they 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 pledge allegiance as evangelicals, you know, that following the Reformation idea of sola scriptura, that scripture, you know, uh, is the word of God and that it's reliable and trustworthy. And so we pledge allegiance to that idea, but we never ask any questions. We never wrestle through. We never uh, ask about why we believe what we believe. We we do a really and I and I want to be careful when I say this. Um, we do not. Uh, we do many teenagers and even young adults and adults in general a great disservice in how we approach Christian education today, because what's what is viewed often done i should say is this this approach of just pump people full of information as if all we needed was knowledge now we need knowledge we need doctrine doctrine means teaching teaching comes from the word of god so we need that i'm not saying otherwise but but we also have to be able to meet people where they're at and so i talk about a cookie cutter approach and and this relates to this like whole conversation um you know, some people don't like it when I mentioned the Willow Creek study that came out a few years ago, and I and I understand that. You know, it's not to pick on them. It's not to pick on Willow Creek. It's not to pick on anybody. Just to clarify, um, but it but it is to say there are issues that have been continue to be exposed, and one of those issues that the stats continue to show us is people pledge allegiance to this idea that the Bible is without error. But we so rarely talk about the stronger term that buttresses, uh, the church has said, um, the inerrancy of Scripture, which is infallibility. And that really matters because, as, as we're going to talk about uh, here soon, um, when you come to issues of gender and sexuality, it exposes cracks in people's view of the Bible. And if you don't have a really good understanding of those, even just basically what those terms mean, inerrancy, infallibility… From scripture, we'll, we'll get to all the scriptures and all that, and in towards the end, I think. But the the idea is, is if you believe that the Bible is without error and without the possibility of error, as we're discussing, you're going to wrestle with the scriptures in a way that has confidence in them to to deal with any apparent or supposed um, contradictions. And you're going to go and find answers to those questions. You're not going to leave the faith. Um, you're going to go with confidence to the scriptures. You're going to go with confidence to find answers to your questions because you believe that that this is the word of God, that this is true, and that God will not lie. He cannot lie. And that plus every single one of these contradicts apparent or supposed contradictions, I, I say it that way because – some people think, oh, there is contradictions. So I, I say it that way because some of my friends are like, you have to say apparent or supposed. So I, I, I try to incorporate that when I when I say this. But uh, what what I mean is, is that you can go to those sources. I mean, there's so many um, people that have done that are far smarter than I that have done a lot of work. I think one is uh, Norman Geisler is one. Um, 
there's there's so many resources out there that you can go to to get apologetics ministries that are, you know on the internet that are tr really trustworthy and it, and by the way when we talk about trustworthy we're talking about that they affirm exactly what we're talking about so look for mm -hmm. that look for look for those definitions look for those explanations if they're not if they say that they believe the chicago statement on biblical inerrancy and yet don't practice it uh don't pay attention to them um you know we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit but i i just want to say that because um there's there's nothing wrong with, as a christian with wrestling with questions and asking questions um you know, we we have to be we have to ask questions. And if you're in ministry, you know, part of your job, Ephesians four fifteen, is to be to be helping people, to equipping them, um, to to answer those questions. And and Second Timothy two fifteen, Paul says to rightly handle the word of God. And so I kind of join those two together, Ephesians four fifteen and two fifteen. And our job is to literally help people then to rightly handle the Bible because we believe the bible so you, you get me started on that one you you we won't get to any other questions but <laughs> well that's not a problem at all i enjoy uh hearing you kind of articulate that but um you had mentioned earlier about gender related issues um and specifically lgbtq uh plus issues uh how do those theological problems that come from that movement as you detail in your book um, how do they relate to the inerr the inerrancy of Scripture? Well, we need to remember – it's a good question. It's an important question. Um, we need to remember that, again, inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture is without error. So when we talk about these matters, we start not with what the opposing side is saying. We start with what does the Bible say because we believe the Bible, um, and our view of the Bible is going to affect how we interpret the Bible. We're, we're going to see that here in just a minute. But, you know, Scripture is clear, crystal, crystal clear in both Testaments on this. You know, that God made a man first, and then he made a woman. He made the man for a woman and the woman for the man. Anything else other than that is not what God assigned. And that's mm -hmm. what we see in Leviticus 18.22, Romans 1.26-27, two examples. There's a lot more why, you know— homosexuality and all the other things are forbidden um but we need to understand you know a lot of people know that okay um even the other side knows that but we have to understand what i was saying about how they view the bible because these people that they, these the the other side these people that affirm the lgbtq plus even t i you know the transgender movement they have a view of the Bible, and they're telling us, as I'll explain here at the end of this, they're telling us their view of the Bible. William Kent is a member of the United Methodist Community of Study Homosexuality, and he says this. It's shocking that the scriptural texts in the Old and New Testament condemning homosexual practice are neither inspired by God nor are they of enduring value. Now, remember… That that word inspired, it means reliable and trustworthy. So he's saying that we can't take God at his word. Mm. Uh, another voice, Gary David Comstock, is a Protestant chaplain at Wesleyan University. He's he's going even further than this. He says not to recognize, critique, and condemn Paul's equation of godlessness with the homosexuality is dangerous. To remain with, 
within our respective Christian traditions and not challenge those passages that degrade and destroy us is to contribute to our own oppression. Those passages will be brought up and used against us again and again and again, he says, until Christians demand their removal from the biblical canon or at the very least formally discredit their authority to prescribe behavior. Now, notice what he said there. Out of his own mouth, out of his own words, from his own pen, he says that until, until they remove those parts of the Bible that you know forbid homosexuality and other behavior, you know, sexual immorality, really, um, sexual sin, um, that's that's their view. They want to do away with it. That's exactly what Gary Comstock is saying. You know, in the in there's even more than this recently in 2023, this very year, there was an article titled Methodist Church's First Drag Queen Pastor, God is Nothing, uh, based on a guy named Isaac Simmons. In his poem, by the way, this guy is the first Methodist pastor. He is transgender. He says in his poem that God is nothing. This drag evangelist repeats throughout the poem, the Bible is nothing, religion is nothing. In the end, he's saying that God and the Bible are nothing unless we wield it wield it into something. He says that the poem, notice this, he writes that the poem is directed to those who actively and passively cause harm against the LGTQI2S plus community due to their understanding of scripture. That is so important to notice because remember what I said. Um, he he is arguing for a view of the Bible, and that view of the Bible is affecting his interpretation of the Bible. Now, uh, Dr. Albert Muller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he wrote a very uh, – I, I can't remember if this was in a podcast, but the Daily Wire actually picked this up. And uh, he's a, the Simmons is a candidate for uh, ordination. He might be ordained now. I, I haven't looked into it uh, any further than that. But um, he says, Mueller says that this is open revolt. And of course, you're going to see a division between those who are appalled by it, deeply troubled by it, deeply concerned by it, and opposed on the one hand, and those who celebrate it and say that it's arrived far too late on the other hand. So we need to remember something. What Jesus says multiple times throughout the Gospels, one example is Luke 6.45. He says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so people are always speaking about you know, what they believe and what they love. We cannot help it. We cannot help it. We are all of us making an argument. The question is, is the argument biblical? Is it grounded in the special revelation you know, that God has given, the reliable and trustworthy word of god that without air without possibility of air and so the question is whether the arguments by those um making them are biblically sound and so simmons comstock kent uh this uh, other people um they're arguing for a reinterpretation of what scripture says and what we forget as i was mentioning with the other question what we miss is the foundational level the foundational level is they don't believe the Bible, and they want mm -hmm. to reinterpret the Bible because they don't believe the Bible, period. There's no question about it. They, they What they want to do, they want to do away with the Bible. They want to reinterpret the Scripture through their own view of sexuality when Scripture is clear in Genesis 1 and 2 and many other places that 
you know, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and God made a, a man for a woman and a woman for a man. Um, you you know what's interesting, Clay is I find this very very interesting because one one thing that we, that we have to understand is in any other academic discipline, the kind of statements that these people make would be unacceptable, unacceptable, because you have to provide evidence, you have to make an argument, you mm -hmm. have to you have to you know back up your claims using actual you know some sort of you know, coherent, logical, rational argumentation. You know, like when you're in school, you have to write a paper. Um, and in those papers, you have to present an argument. You have to provide evidence. Um, these people, they don't care about any of that. Um, and yet their their influence and their voice continues to spread because Paul is clear in Second Timothy. People want uh, for Second Timothy 4. He's clear that people want their ears tickled. Mm -hmm. They want to itch. They want a little, oh, here's a little something new. And so so this is another thing that reveals a crack, as we were talking about in, in evangelicalism and our view of the Bible, where we where we say one thing, oh, we believe, I profess a belief in everything you're saying. But where's the practice of it? Where's the practice? We'll talk about that. I know we're talking about it now, but it reveals a crack, a huge, giant crack, because you have... So too many Christians, quite honestly, Clay, that say one thing, say one thing out of this side of their mouth and out of the other. They're they're saying another thing, and it's like you don't know what what they're even saying. They mm -hmm. they one minute could be very sound, and then the next minute, you know, they're they're going and speaking at at a, at a conference, and you're like, what in the world is that about? And so mm -hmm. so you never know. It's like as Christians, uh, in a Christian worldview, integrity really matters. Um, you know, we see that all over the Bible, you know, with, with Joseph over and over again, and that our words actually matter. And so when we say something, we're to be truthful. In fact, we're commanded to speak the truth and love in Ephesians 4.15. Um, so it, it really matters the words that we use, um, the way in which we use those words, even, um, and even, you know, God is even concerned with the motivation for why we would say something. Um, since he knows the thoughts that we think, the hairs on our head, he knows it all from beginning to end. And so mm -hmm. everybody, everybody is a RC Sproul once said that everybody is a theologian, but the question is, is whether you're a good theologian or a bad theologian. And so guys like Simmons and Comstock, Kent, etc., they're all theologians. They're all saying something. Um, you need to pay attention to when they tell you clearly. I mean, I don't know how much clearer you can get. Then, then these men and and so many others, they're wanting to reinterpret the Bible according to their sexuality, their view of sexuality, and we 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 can. This gives us an opportunity to respond um, because we believe that the Bible is authoritative, and that they'll come back and make no mistake about. It, they'll come back and they'll say you're a bigot, you're intolerant, but we can come back and say no. The Bible, you're, you're making the Bible a subjective thing. The Bible is not a subjective thing. The Bible is an objective revelation coming from God. God Amen. didn't wake up. God didn't wake up one minute and say, um, you know, I think I'm here. He said in Genesis 1, hello, I'm here. I, I made everything, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So scripture is the only way to know God.
you know, the Bible presents its own worldview, and it presents the only way to know God. Um, that worldview is, is is the only way that we can know God and his character and his attributes and anything like that. But it also, Scripture helps us to have, as Carl F.H. Henry said, who was also an absolutely brilliant man. He wrote uh, six volumes, which is a really hard to read, um, God and Revelation and Authority. Um, mm -hmm. it's, as, it's as dense at reading as you could ever find. It's like up there with John Owen, I think. It's it's hard to read, uh, but it's it's really important work. And he he talked about how the Bible is not only its own worldview, but its own life view. Um, it helps us to see the the world around us. So that's why we want. That's why we can confront these arguments that you know we that are out there that people are making out of their own mouth, out of the abundance of their heart. We can confront them with the scripture and say, "Hey, this is the truth." Um. You're either going to repent and believe or or not, but you can't make the argument that this is what Scripture says because it doesn't, um, because Scripture has a meaning. It's an objective standard. It's its own objective standard, um, and Scripture interprets Scripture. So we have to be – we have to not be afraid to confront um, the the arguments that people make and even be unafraid if they come back to us. And you know, want to do us harm. Um, you know, we, we have to we have to get over that. We have to get over the fear of man, and we need to make a bold, and we need to make a, a you know a compassionate, truthful, and love um, correcting opponents, as Paul says in Second Timothy two twenty four, with gentleness. Um, you know, the fruits of the spirit are are so applicable almost every single time. That uh, amazes me every single time that we're to talk or to give an answer or witnessed in the new testament or where it goes at least one of if not more of the fruits of the spirit are listed and, and that's pretty amazing to me so um we would do well to just camp and and i guess i'm saying in galatians 5 22 through 23 and really pray that the lord would help us to be conformed in the image of christ because it's it's easy as you it's hard as you go out and as you're dealing with these arguments, it's it's hard not to get discouraged. It's hard mm -hmm. not to get like depressed. But realize that those people, they can profess all they want that they believe God and believe the Bible. But what at the end of the day should grieve your heart more than anything is they're unregenerate. They're lost. Mm -hmm. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet still, uh, God is still giving them life and breath. And so we should have great ur that should give us great urgency even to speak the truth to them and tell them in love hey those arguments that you're making you say they come from the bible but let's talk about that you know and that gives us an opportunity god is giving us an opportunity you know out of their own mouth to tell them the truth and so so we should not cower in fear we in fact the number one command in scripture is fear not god says it's it's pretty interesting God's going to give you the words to say from his word. The question is, do you believe it? And are you convinced that it's truthful? Um, you know, I don't I don't personally enjoy, you know, uh, talking about a lot of these things, sexual sin or whatever. Um, I know that when I do, I'm going to get all sorts of pushback and, and other things. But the, the, at the end of the day, it, it flows from this view of the Bible that not only scripture supports, but the church has taught. 
um, and that men have men and women have given their lives for. And so, you know, I mean, who am I, you know, and that that actually at the end of the day is actually the most humble thing, humbling thing, I should say, um, that I I am not only following a long line of what the scripture has said, but also in the long line of what um, the church has taught. And so that that just that just gives me even more desire to to speak on these and other topics so yeah it's good um now i want to jump back in time a little bit um to the 1970s and 80s uh for our listeners there was this time period where uh called the battle for the bible and it was started mo- mostly from uh, a book called the battle for the bible by Her- Her- harold Lenzel. um dave you talk about that a, l- a little bit in your book um, but I just want to ask you um, first, what was the battle for the Bible briefly? And then uh, m- more, more importantly, is the battle of the Bible still going on today? Um, and if so, why? Like, what? Why? I mean, you had the you had the drafting of the Chicago Statement on, you know, biblical inerrancy, you know, which happened over a period of time with men like James Montgomery Boyce. Who passed in 2000 and even i believe if i'm not mistaken off the top of my head john MacArthur was there that's you right had, yep. you had rc rc sproul who was there and and you had norman geisler and many other men who were deeply deeply committed you know to the bible uh, they had their they had their theological differences no doubt um you know look at rc sproul and and john MacArthur, right they they had their differences uh but they stood on the word of God. Um, so some people say, you know, that the battle for the Bible is it's done and over. And it's like, oh man, really that again? Um, you know, I, I think that the battle for the Bible has waged since the garden. Um, and I think that doesn't mean that, you know, our, our, that other things aren't under attack, but at a foundational level, if we believe that scripture is the only way to know God, um, all those other topics, uh, our understanding of humanity, of sin, of the personal work of Christ, the character of God, the attributes of God, the whole nine yards, right? How else are we going to be able to know those things if not for the Bible? So, you know, Satan is Satan is crafty. You know, he he knows that if he can get us to focus over here on this little aspect of truth which we we need to speak out against how the image of God is under attack and I'm and I'm not saying that but but we have to understand things at a foundational level. Um we believe that scripture is special revelation coming from God. There's no other way to know God other than through the Bible. Um so that's the only way that we can know all of these have a right understanding of all these things about you know the image of God and man and sin and Jesus and the character and attributes of God and you know we can go on and on. But uh, so, yeah, to answer briefly, and then I'll say a lot more. Um, yes, the Bible of the Bible is still going on. Uh, I can prove it. Uh, Gallup states that now 30 percent in 2011 and 24 percent in 2017, they believe that that scripture is literally the word of God. Even as I mentioned uh, recently, Barna in his uh, I believe it was Barna in his uh, 2023 worldview study, he states that. About 24% of people believe in the truth of Scripture. Um, you know, these statistics, they're really revealing. 
um, in the you know in the 1980s, 40 percent of people thought that the Bible was literally the Word of God, according to the same Gallup study. And so, even recently, uh, Gallup has come out with more research, and they state that 29 percent of Americans believe that the Bible is a collection of, of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts. Um, we mentioned I mentioned Titus one two that God never lies. Uh, we can say that Scripture uh, contains the Holy Spirit inspired word of the God who never lies. And Titus 1 2 makes it clear that, you know, the character of God is tied to the authority of Scripture. So when we say as Christians, rightly, that the Bible is without error, we mean that God cannot lie. The word is entirely trustworthy because the Lord is holy. That means that we can trust the promises of God because 2 Corinthians 1 20 says that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. Now we can also come at this another angle from the sufficiency of scripture which is that you know second uh, peter 1 3 says that scripture is for a life and godliness or as i like to say for every stage in phase of life so believing that scripture is full of myths and fairy tales it undermines this doctrine in fact what is really revealing about the statistic that i'm talking about uh, from gallup is that 49 percent of americans who responded that the bible is neither strictly literal nor fables Oh, they also state that the Bible is inspired by God, not at all to be taken literally. Isn't that interesting? Because part of this discussion in 2011 said 49%, they said the same thing, while 52% uh, chose the same option in 2022. So what's also interesting in the same amount of time, we have we have seen critical race theory. We've seen intersectionality. We've seen the Enneagram. We've seen yoga. We've seen all these things rise up in the church. And that's because when you don't believe and consistently put into practice the doctrine of Scripture, when you're not consistent with, with it and, and follow it all the way, we must ask the question, is it, any, is it any wonder why we've seen many evangelicals undermine the very authority in Scripture that they profess to believe in the last few decades? Now – it's it's interesting among evangelicals. You'll see shared convictions around the Bible. You'll see us. You'll see many people giving an amen uh, to the scriptures without air. But then then I, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the articles of those same evangelical publications. I want you to look at the 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 books that that evangelical publishers publish. I want you to look at the the best selling books by the Christian uh, the evangelical. Uh, Christian Publishers Association, they say they believe in inerrancy, and yet they publish material uh, from those who, I can say, aren't evangelicals. Because mm -hmm. evangelicals, um, uh, David Bevington defines an evangelical just as somebody, very simply, who believes in inerrancy. That's one of the core beliefs of inerrancy, uh, of being an evangelical, is that you believe in inerrancy. But it's not enough, I'm saying, as I've tried to say throughout this interview, it's not enough to give assent to that belief. If you aren't going to put into practice what the Bible says and have your ministry shaped by Scripture, you need to understand that you've undermined the belief that you professed. Now, James 1.22 says very clearly that we're not to be hearers only, but doers. That means that we must not just hear the word, but do the word by the grace of God with the help of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Nobody, nobody, you might hear that and you'd be like, well, I don't do that perfectly. And none of us do, but we still need to, we still need to be consistent. Um, we, we shouldn't be going and 
writing books on the Enneagram and and yoga and uh, critical race theory and intersection intersectionality and um, how Christians can you know support the um, LGBTQ plus uh, TI revolution and and more. We should be speaking out against those things because we believe the Bible is true. Now, I, I also just want to be clear for our audience here. Um, I'm not trying to assign motives. Um, I'm not trying to uh, question the legitimacy of anybody's convictions. But one aspect that isn't often considered about the doctrine of Scripture is Scripture's own consistency and coherency. You know, as I said, all of us are imperfect in the practice of our convictions. That is equally true for me. But the scripture also tells us in Ephesians 5.1 that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. Uh, Paul and James also teach us to put into practice what we believe in Philippians 4.9 and James 2. And so it matters, really matters what we believe about scripture. It also matters you know, that we put scripture into practice in our daily lives as we walk this walk of faith and in light of what scripture teaches and that we're obedient to God's revealed will in the scripture. Um, and so we must uh, understand how to do this because we're living in a time even when many people are claiming um, with the New Apostolic Reformation, you know, Bethel and all these teachers out of it. They're claiming extra biblical revelation. They're claiming uh, Brian Simmons claims to have a commission from the Lord to write the Passion Translation and and teach whatever they want. And, and I got to be clear, they're teaching outside of the Bible. Okay. And yet the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. Um, the Holy Spirit aims to use the word in our lives and to point us to Christ from the word so that we can grow to be more like Christ. We see that in Romans 8, 28, 2 Peter 3, 18, which says to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So back to your question here, um, these statistics, your question about the battle for the Bible that waged in the 1970s, it's not dead and gone. We're living in a time when the Bible is under assault. Um, yes, the image of God is under assault. Um, all, all those things, but it all goes back to our view of the Bible. It's long been under assault. The scripture has and will be because scripture confronts us with this, this question. Do you believe God? Will you take him at his word? Will you obey his word? And if so, you must believe and practice uh, what scripture says in your everyday walk of obedience. And that means also that as Christians, uh, we're, we should stand on the word and rightly interpret it as Second Peter uh, 2.15 tells us. Um, and, and I want to say just a few more things here. Sure. Sorry, Clay, this is a this is this gets me a little fired up. First uh, Thessalonians First Thessalonians 521 oh, says that we're to test all things and to hold fast to what is good. Uh, we Jude 3 tells us that we're to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Ephesians 4:15, we're to speak the truth in love. We're to give an answer. First Peter 3:15 says, uh, but to do so with gentleness and respect. Uh, in fact, the reason for all of this, even Paul says, I mentioned it earlier, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, says very clearly, uh, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Notice this, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Gentleness, remember, in Paul, Paul, Paul tells us that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, 23. And notice the reason that Paul says, for correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
in verse 25 of 2 Timothy 2, 25, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, even more about this, that Gallup tells us that people think religion is important. Um, that was uh, that was uh, in, in 2022, 44% said that. That's still down from 60% in 2021. Um, during the same period, the, conv the conviction that the Bible is the word of God went from 30% to 20%. So all that to say, I mean, in light of what the statistics are telling us, there's no way that the battle for the Bible is ever over. It's as old as the garden. It's going to continue until Christ returns. And in between today and the return of Christ, we need to be faithful. And so what Scripture reveals is from Genesis to Revelation, everywhere in between, it tells us about the glory of Christ. That That's because Scripture is enough, and it always will be for us, because it reveals, Scripture does, a sufficient Christ to meet us in every stage and stage of our life. So, so what I'm saying here is one last thought is the number one command in Scripture is to, to fear not because the Lord is with us. Now is not the time to fear. Now is the time to stand on the word of God uh, mm -hmm. without apology, without compromise, faithfully proclaiming the glad tidings and good news of Jesus from Scripture. You don't have to be pugnacious. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be demeaning. You have to stand on the word, and, and you need to be shaped by the word. Um, so I would say a couple of things. Um, sit and camp on in Colossians 3 and Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and just marinate in those in those uh, passages. And you know, it's amazing that in like in Colossians 3, for example, before Paul tells us, you know, put on the Lord Jesus in, in verse 12 of Colossians 3, he talks about all the things that you used to used to be prior to conversion. And then he talks about how we're to be clothed, how we're clothed in right, the righteousness of Christ and how we're to put on Christ in all of life. That's that's our union with Christ. That That's that's the daily walk of, you know, re repenting, as Luther said, that repentance, um, repentance is the Christian life. You know, um, actually, that was Calvin. Calvin said that the rep that repentance is the Christian life and and repentance isn't just to get into the door to get you know converted it's it's part of you know seeing our sin in light of christ in light of the glory of christ and turning having a proper hatred of it and turning away from it not not you know um just saying i'm sorry but turning away from it and turning to christ confessing our need agreeing with god that yes our, our sin um even our indwelling sin our remaining sin as the Puritans and the Reformers talked about, and Romans seven talks about as well, um, it 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 offends God. <laughs> yes, we have the righteousness of Christ, but we still have sin, and sin displeases God. Um, you know, there's there's this phrase um, Luther talked about at this at the same time, saint and sinner. Um, you know, we still have sin, and yet we're righteous in the sight of God, and and both go together. They're not opposed to each other. Uh, one day we will be fully like Christ, and that's that's good news, but we're not there, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. even this reminds us that we have work to do ourselves to grow, but it also and, and to be humble, but it also reminds us of the mission that we have 
uh, to make disciples. So um, hopefully some of that's helpful. No, it's very helpful. Thanks, Dave. Um, I think one of the things you mentioned earlier uh, was helpful as well in talking about how we're supposed to grow in Christlikeness. And that reminded me of a particular argument that's been recycled over and over again about the how the faith is not about a book. It's about Christ. And so I wanted to ask you, Dave, Yeah. what was Jesus's view of the scriptures? Yeah, well, you see in the, you know, Jesus and his temptation with Satan in Matthew 4, you see Jesus saying it is written. You know, he's using the Old Testament. Um, he is a scripture in Matthew 11, uh, 15 through 17, Matthew 26, 54 through 56. Um, in his ministry to defend his actions. Um, these examples, they demonstrate the authority that Jesus placed in the word of God. Um, we're not left even to make assumptions based on Jesus' actions alone. Jesus taught the, the scriptures in such a way to make uh, clear his position on scripture being without error. In fact, um, in a confrontation with the Sadducees over the doctrine of the resurrection, which the Sadducees denied, Jesus silenced his opposition, arguing the entire resurrection belief on the tense of a simple verb to be in Matthew 22, 32. Uh, <laughs> Jehovah told, you know, Moses at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham. But as Jesus thought, Abraham had been dead 480 years when that statement was made. So arguing that God was the God of the living, not the dead, Jesus claimed life after death to be true. And so Jesus used the tense of a verb to prove that Abraham was not merely physically dead, but that he was living in the presence of God. And so the fact that Jesus used a, a word and it's tense, it demonstrates his deep confidence in you know, the, the scriptures being reliable and trustworthy and without error. Um, you know, that's 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 our savior, you know. Um, and he is the word made flesh, as John says. So, you know, if Jesus can believe the Bible. You know, um, you know, he he even uses it. Uh, I'll say two more things. Uh, John five thirty nine. He says that the scriptures testify of me, which is kind of like a backhanded. Uh, if you're familiar with N NCIS and you know Gibbs and Denozo, I, I think of that as kind of like the backhanded slap by Gibbs to Denozo. <laughs> and then you know, you know, and you, you know, he he interpreted all of scripture in you know the law and the prophets and the Psalms in Luke twenty four uh, twenty seven. And uh, so, I mean, Jesus believed the Bible. I mean, he taught the Bible. He confounded uh, the religious leaders and the religious elites of his own day. Um, so, you know, it's it, it, the Bible is – this is why the church has, um, you know, flowing from the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your soul, why the church um, started, you know, counseling and hospitals and – engaged in science works of science and and the list goes on and on all all because you know um you know we have a we have a sinless um perfect son of god and son of man in jesus and yeah his word is enough so yeah um that's great yeah that's uh exactly what the reason why we believe the scriptures are to be true uh is because of christ and um but uh, we're running out of time here, and I want to make sure we get to this question. Um, some voices uh, in church history or in contemporary evangelicalism that we should be listening to today um, regarding inerrancy. 
Yeah. And you have to go through the whole swath of church history. Uh, <laughs> just a few names uh, would be yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be I'll be brief on this one for you. You know, Jay Gresham Mation is is really great. I talk about him in chapter five of this book. Um, so, you know, Christian and liberalism, classic, classic book. Um, really diagnoses theological liberalism. Um, that's would be a good introduction to that idea. B.B. Warfield. Oh, my gosh. Classic, classic book, you know, on the inspiration of scripture. Um, James Montgomery Boyce. I mentioned him. Um, his his work is well worth checking out. He was a he was a staunch defender of of the Word of God. Um, R.C. Sproul as well. Uh, another one that gets a little more uh, it's it's he's a little more um, you know intense. Uh, we'll say, but nonetheless important is John Frame, especially on the academic side of things. You know, uh, when he when he endorsed this book, I was like, in, in the teenage me who read his his work was like i can't believe i just got it was like the little kid at the candy shop you know um and and here i got like the the master you know the the mr yoda you know uh they're uh in, endorsing my book you know it was like geez louise uh deeply humbling uh on that front so those are those are some people to, you know to really read and digest and 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 study and um, so, so many more. I mean, John Owen is another one that you could, you could say Charles Spurgeon, of course, uh, you know, John Bunyan, um, you know, Athanasius, uh, yeah, it depends on how far you want to go back, but these, those would be just some that, that would be, you know, good to get your hands on to read. Yeah, it's good. Uh, those are all great. Um, so a lot of those authors, I have titles on my shelf as well. So that's, that's good to know that we're in good company. Um, Dave, lastly, I just want to, with the five minutes that we have left, I uh, just wanted to ask, um, what are some, if you had to give any parting words to those who are studying the word, God, um, people in the pew, um, what, what's the main takeaway about inerrancy that they should know, um, before going off and living the Christian life? Don't be afraid to read your Bible with confidence. You don't need to know the original languages. Um, you can read the Bible with full confidence. Read a read a good translation like the you know the NASB, the New American Standard, the New King James, the ESV, or perhaps the Legacy Standard Bible. These are trustworthy translations, and behind those are trustworthy men and women who have taken the time to you know, study the scriptures. They have the Greek and they have the Hebrew and they have the, the, the best degrees from the best institutions in the world. Um, and they have the right view of the Bible, most importantly. And that means something. Because as we've been talking about here today, you know, there are many people that have the wrong view of the Bible and they will, they will lead you astray. Um, that's why you need to pay attention when people make arguments, and especially when they're talking about Scripture. Note that. They, they're telling you what they believe about the Bible. I gave you three examples, or maybe four today, and along with a bunch of statistics. But don't be discouraged by those statistics, and don't be fearful of those people. They want you to be intimidated. Don't be afraid of what they're saying. 
Uh, and don't back down and don't be afraid. Because you know what? God, God's word is true. God stands behind his word. As we said from Titus 1-2, God never lies. God will always act consistently, and he will always act coherently with his revealed word. And so you don't need to be afraid of those who deny his word, that do not take him as – there's always been people who have said whatever they wanted to say, but they're making subjective arguments. We're making an objective – we have an objective standard. We believe, as, as Scripture – as the church has taught, that scripture is for our faith and it's for our practice. And so scripture alone is enough, and it always will be, and it tells us about a sufficient Christ. I mean, what more could we ever need? I mean, and yet God still has given us even more. He's given us men and women who have stood for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so the book uh, is the word matters. I've written it not only to present a scriptural argument for what scripture says about itself, but to help you to stand on scripture because of those arguments and over and against the, the lies from the abyss. And that's what they are. They're lies from the pit of hell. And they're, they're behind those lies is none other than the deceiver, Satan himself, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And his time is, his time is limited. His kingdom is limited, God. but God is – he is all-powerful. He knows everything. He knows the state of your heart. He knows where you stand before him. Um, you know, so if you're, in, if you're in Christ, you have every reason, every reason to be so profoundly encouraged. And, and yet if you're not in Christ, you have every reason to cower in fear before this holy and majestic God like Isaiah did. And when he saw himself as a man, you know, unworthy to be in the presence of God in Isaiah 6, 8, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, and yet, even in the midst of that, there's the Bible says there's good news, and that is that Christ can save because Christ alone is sufficient. Because Jesus said in John 19, 30, it is finished. Um, and so I'm praying that God might use this even to expose, expose the lies and give you eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you might come to saving faith in, in Christ if you're not yet a child of God. Um, and, uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta be, we gotta be so clear today. There's so much, uh, lies and false teaching out there. And I just want to say, you know, I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to back down, you know, until, I'll just say it this way. Until my dying breath, I am going to stand on the Bible. Um, mm. This is not something that I, I did not just write this book to come along and say, hey, this is enough. Th this is these are some thoughts. You know, my whole life and my whole ministry is is based on on these truths. And I'm going to stand for them and I'm going to defend the Bible until the day I die. And that's not that's not chest pounding. That's just the reality. Um, I didn't start to write this book so that people would say, look at Dave Jenkins. I wrote this book to help people really understand the authority of Scripture and so that they could have a trustworthy guide to help them to have confidence in the Bible over and against those who would want you to not have confidence in the Bible or to, or to cast doubt and question the Bible. Here's a reliable guide to help you understand what scripture says, what the church has taught, 
like you said, it's written in an easy to understand and digest manner. I hope you'll uh, pick it up and consider it and tell your friends about it. Thanks, Clay. Yep. Thanks, Dave. I, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I pray that the your work um, is extended far and wide um, for those who are looking to learn more about the doctrine of scripture. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, brother. Many thanks to my guest, Dave Jenkins, for coming on the show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a review. Until next time, go and read the word. Mm-hmm.